1: At one time or another, we have all experienced a powerful emotion of awe and have felt the quieting of our monkey mind as it creates a physiological coherence that calms our nervous system. Awe gives us a break from judging and processing unwanted events and gives us a capacity to see through them, to see a larger picture Our guests today tell us that we don't have to travel to the Grand Canyon or overlook Niagara Falls in order to experience awe. It's available to us in our everyday life, and we can tap into it with something called the awe method that only takes 5 to 15 seconds, and this method has a cumulative effect. The more we do it, the more it changes the pathways in our brain synapses. This method of accessing awe was devised by therapist Jake Eagle and physician Dr. Michael Amster. It's easy, it's accessible, and proven scientifically to work, and they will be our guests today. They are the co-authors of The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute Per Day. So please join us for the next hour as we explore the emotion of awe and how we can receive its powerful benefits in our everyday life with our guests, Jake Eagle and Dr. Michael Amster. I'm speaking with Jake and Michael from their homes by Remote Connection. I'm Justine Willis Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Michael and Jake, welcome. Thank you, Justine.
2: It's such an honor to be here. And as we were sharing before we started today, uh, we've both been big fans of yours for many years, so we're in awe that we get to spend this next hour together.
1: It's <laughs> <is> so wonderful. <laughs> that was Michael, and I'll try and help the listeners to distinguish between their voices. I would love for you to start with a little background of how this even started to happen and, and a little bit of your background, how how you arrived at this method. Hi, Justin. Okay, this, this is, is Jay. This is Jay.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, We started this about four years ago uh, at a time when I had developed a course that I was teaching online. This is actually pre-pandemic. And when I was teaching that course, there were many people in it who I and I was asking all of them to meditate 10 minutes a day. And what was interesting is that more than half the people said, I can't do that. I don't have 10 minutes a day. And Michael was actually in that course. He and I have known each other for, I think, 15 years. But he was in that course because he was curious about what I was teaching at the time. And both of us were struck by the fact that people didn't have 10 minutes a day to meditate. So I asked people to do what at the time I referred to as a micro meditation, where they would just spend maybe 30 seconds meditating and gave them some instructions about how to do that. And then at the end of the program, I always do an evaluation. And what I saw was the people who did these very brief meditations were getting results that were equal to the people who were doing the 10 minutes of meditation. And both Michael and I were really surprised. We did not expect that that would happen. And so we decided we would, Explore what was going on. And each one of us then conducted a pilot project. Michael's a uh, doctor who's a pain specialist, and he worked with a group of people who were in chronic pain. And I worked with a group of my clients. My background is as a psychotherapist, I was in private practice for almost 30 years. So we both conducted these studies, and we used evaluation, psychological evaluation tools. And looked at where people were at before and after the program, which was a 21 day program. And we saw tremendous changes. And again, we were really surprised. We were both kind of uh, in awe of the fact that people were getting such significant benefit from such a brief practice. And Michael came up with a great idea. He said, let's call it microdosing mindfulness.
1: (laughs) There we go. There we go. I love it. And I want to go into mindfulness because that's so extant in our culture today. There are so many ways to approach mindfulness. And as you said, Jake, in the early part of your description of how you arrived here, it was lack of time. If we do a mindfulness meditation or practice, it's effortful, isn't it? Michael, would you say that?
2: Yeah, exactly, Justine. So Jake and I are both mindfulness teachers, and I was trained at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, which is in the Bay Area, um, San Francisco, um, which is well known in the Buddhist circles of um, of experts in the world of mindfulness and international leaders in that field. And I was leading a Buddhist Sangha in my community where I was living and was teaching mindfulness to many um, people in my group. And they really struggled with uh, finding the time, as we already talked about, but also that it takes a lot of effort and that people also can be really harsh on themselves and very judgmental depending on what you're teaching someone to do, even though it can be very simple. Let's like you're just paying attention to breathing in and out, but our minds are little monkey making machines and they're <laughs> constantly distracted and, and we're always coming back to the breath, but it can be very frustrating. And, um, and at a certain point, I noticed it can be counterproductive for people. Like they can just really feel defeated and, And then I think they're almost even harsher on themselves before they even began the practice. So I remember when Jake and I had this conversation and we came up with this idea of microdosing mindfulness, you know, we were really curious if we could find a way to give people the benefits of mindfulness without requiring that extensive commitment of time and effort. And I actually flew out to Hawaii to Jake's home and spent time with him and his wife, Hannah, and as everyone can imagine, Hawaii is filled with a lot of extraordinary awe. And we we kind of sensed that our practice was we wanted to give people that sense of of nirvana, that that sense of transcendence, of being purely present, where time sort of stands still, the the voices in our heads stop temporarily. We feel connected to the vastness of all life, um, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And we you know, we really kind of stumbled upon this practice. It wasn't in the extraordinary that it that really called our attention, but it was finding on the ordinary moments of our lives.
1: I think uh, you write about, Michael, just that a little moment of cooking pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> Can you describe that moment?
2: Sure. Well, um, I think, like like most of us, when we make pancakes, we we we're multitasking. We we pour the batter, and then we're while the pancakes cook themselves, we're off uh, making orange juice or sausage or making the kids their their lunches for school or whatever. And I just stood there and was fully present and brought my full undivided attention to this experience of watching these pancakes go from a liquid batter to a you know puffy, yummy pancake. And I had this what we. We we call in this idea of a spectrum of awe. On the far end of an expect, of the spectrum is what's called an orgasm, where our whole <laughs> body gets excited and tingles, and we have chills, and we feel you know very alive and awake and super present. And I had that moment watching these pancakes cook, and it was from that point you know. And I shared that with Jake and Hannah that we constructed the awe method and I know we'll get to talk more about that, but it, we, we used the word awe and came up with a three step process and we created an acronym, which is what we've been teaching people on our research studies. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really incredible journey for us to, we, we didn't set out to write a book. Um, we just were really wanting to help people that were up against you know the challenges of of creating a mindfulness practice and then also when the pandemic struck we were really called to do some deeper research with applying our methodology to hundreds of patients that were struggling with anxiety and depression and loneliness as well as doctors and nurses with their burnout and other mental health issues during the height of the pandemic.
1: Right, right. So let's talk a bit about the actual process. And you said that AWE actually stands for something in the practice. So Jay, can you describe a little bit of the practice
3: yeah, the, uh, the first step in the AWE method is to place our attention on something that we value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. So it's placing our attention on something that has a positive quality to it. That's the first step.
1: The second step... So I'm going to slow this down a bit. So attention... I think listeners to New Dimensions know uh, and have heard about how where we put our attention is where our energy will go, so they're correlating. And also, where the attention is, we're, we're talking about how you're actually putting your attention on an object, on something. I mean, when you think about mindfulness, it's actually we're trying to just sort of Erase our monkey mind and, and just stop thinking, so to speak, or at least not have it running us. So when you're talking about attention, you're actually giving attention to an actual object or something, as you say, that, that has value to us or beauty or has meaning. So that's very different from mindfulness, isn't it?
3: It is, although in a mindfulness practice, we're often instructed to pay attention, for example, to our breath, right? So we are taking our attention and placing it somewhere. The difference in the AWE method is that we are intentionally placing our attention on something, again, that we value or appreciate. Now, it could be an object, but it also could be a memory. It could be an idea. It could be a connection with another human being. There are many places that we can put our attention that will evoke something positive within us. So that's where the process begins. So the process begins
1: with attention because I want you to go thoroughly through the other parts of that process. But I do want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Therapist Jake Eagle, and also with someone who actually specializes in chronic pain, Dr. Michael Amster. And they are co authors of The Power of Awe Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute a Day. And if you want to know more about their work, you can go to the website thepowerofaw.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with therapist Jake Eagle and Dr. Michael Amster, and we're talking about the power of awe. And the first part of the method is
3: attention. So, what is the second part, Jake? So, we took the word awe and turned it into an acronym. So, the A stands for attention, and the W stands for weight. And the idea here is that once we've placed our attention on something that we value, appreciate, or find to be amazing, we want to wait. In other words, we want to stay with whatever that is, but it's for a brief amount of time. This whole process can be done in the course of one breath cycle, right? So we can we can inhale while we're paying attention to what it is that we value, we appreciate. And then we wait. And while we're waiting, we just give every bit of attention we have to whatever it is we placed our attention on. And that process is what allows our mind to quiet down. It's in the waiting that our mind quiets down. And then the final step is the E, which stands for exhale and expand. And when we exhale, it's actually a fairly natural thing. To experience some expansion, particularly if the exhalation is a little bit longer than normal. And we can talk more about what that's doing physiologically, but that is the final step in the process. It's this exhalation. And when we experience that, whatever sensations are in our body are going to be amplified. And the sensations in our body were positive ones because we were putting our attention on something that we valued.
1: I was surprised when I actually tried it, and I was surprised I actually did feel something in my body. When I did it, it was a kind of fleeting, but for a moment I thought, wow, that, that that really did something. And I'm reminded in your writings, you used a quote from David Elkins. He actually studied under Victor Frankl, who some of us remember was a Holocaust survivor and was the person who wrote the seminal book, Man's Search for Meaning. And anyway, uh, David Elkins, I love what he said about awe because he talked about the transformative elements of awe and that awe is like, um, here's, here's a quote, awe is a lightning bolt. That marks in memory those moments when the doors of perception are cleansed and we see with startling clarity what is truly important in life. It's powerful, in other words. So, any
3: comment on that? Well, I think it's a fabulous quote. And part of what I love about it is the idea of a lightning bolt. It's something that actually happens very quickly and can be transformative. And that's really what this method is. It's very brief. It happens quickly. And yet it does cleanse our perception and it resets our nervous system.
1: You have mentioned the scientific studies. A person who has really gone in and studied a lot, a professor at UC Berkeley, Dr. Keltner, has helped you kind of fashion some studies. What are what are the any of the studies and what did that what did you find? Michael?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about that. Um actually our studies were we worked our our graduate students that we worked with were in Dacker's lab and Dacker was one of the main investigators in our study as well. So we all worked together quite closely and at the height of the pandemic um we designed uh, a 21-day study where we were teaching the AWE method remotely through um, a Zoom course, two different groups. One was 300 primary, about 300 primary care patients that were um, quite stressed out, uh, dealing with depression, anxiety, um, a lot of them also had chronic pain um, at the height of the pandemic. And then we also had recruited a approximately 200 doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals, most of whom were at the front lines managing COVID. And the study commenced in June of 2020, which um, also coincided with the other challenging times that were going on with the race riots and situations going on um, in the the United States. So um, we taught the methodology and then we, we, did daily measures as well as pre and post measures. And I'll just share, you know, kind of the highlights of our research and what we found. Most impressive was the decrease in depression. So we found about a 35% reduction of depression, um, statistically significant in both cohorts, which is really incredible, quite amazing at a time when depression was actually skyrocketing and people around the country, about 50% were, registering you know on the depression scales from the, the pandemic that was really nowhere ending in sight and a lot of other stressors socio-politically in the country.
1: And also at that height, um, there was a lot of medication being prescribed like xanax or Copin or whatever it was that the people were taking a lot of medication to alleviate depression, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, and both depression and anxiety, you know, there wasn't enough therapists around for everyone to get support. And uh, so medical doctors were prescribing antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, which unfortunately, a lot of them have side effects to them, Um and often those side effects can be even worse than any benefit they might get from the therapy. And there's also a very large placebo response in the area around antidepressant medications and anxiety medications. So the fact that we saw such a, a a drastic reduction in depression, in fact, when we looked at sort of the average depression scores, the people... Uh, by the end of the study were no longer actually categorically considered depressed anymore. Like the the, the they didn't meet the threshold of depression um, on uh, in terms of an average score. So that was just really quite extraordinary to see that happen. And what really we've come to think of this is actually that this awe method is a medical intervention. It's a it it is on that same scale of a, a medication for depression or going to see a psychotherapist. And learning tools and analyzing your thoughts with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's really has a similar level of efficacy. Um, and what we love about this, again, is it's, it's, it's safety profile, right? There's no side effects. Um, we didn't have any adverse events in our studies um, with a, almost 500 people that participated in all of them.
1: May I ask you, Michael, how did you establish a moment of awe in so to speak on Zoom? I mean, that must have been difficult to arrange a moment of
3: awe. Well, what, what we Michael, did was... Michael, before you answer that, I just want to mention that this is also a beautiful compliment to people who do require medication or people who are in therapy. We're not suggesting that this is always better than. Other modalities. It often is a beautiful complement. And there are times when people do need to see a therapist or they do need some medication, hopefully for a limited period of time. But this can complement other modalities.
1: Yes, it's not the end all be all. It's not going to solve all the problems of the world or even our personal problems. But it is a tool that's very effective, that's immediately available that uh, does not have adverse side effects. Uh, although I think that you do mention in your work that you need to feel safe and always a feeling of safety to really use it. I mean, if, if you're being threatened in some way or traumatized in some way, it a tiger running after you, it's not going to kick in.
3: If you're being physically threatened, if your life is under threat, then it wouldn't be an option to use this method because you wouldn't even have access to it, right? But most of the time, what we see is that when people feel threatened, what's really being threatened is their sense of identity, their sense of who they are. That kind of threat can absolutely be reduced By using the AWE method. Because when we switch from feeling threatened and we go into AWE, we're shifting our level of consciousness, which is a big part of what this method is all about. Right, right. As soon as we shift our level of consciousness, we're activating different brain regions.
1: Right. I need to go back because I kind of left our listeners hanging. I asked Michael a question and then we went off on something else. So how did you establish um, an awesome moment when you were doing the research?
2: Well, what we did was we we actually taught the um, methodology that Jake shared with you a few minutes ago. Um, we We spent one hour over four weeks, one hour a week, over four weeks with all the participants. And we taught them the awe method. So we had a, a very brief slideshow. We showed them the the three steps. We explained a little bit of the background of, um, how awe helps change our level of consciousness that we're in, uh, temporarily. And, um, that's, we just asked people to practice this three times a day. Um, I mean, in terms of what we had to teach people, it really didn't take us more than fifteen to twenty minutes to give them the 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 training wheels of the awe method. And then we did explain a little bit more about different categories of awe like we we've come up with three different types of awe that help people when they want to build a practice so they can label and and get a better sense of, oh, yeah, I'm having a, a an experience of sensorial awe right now, or I'm having a sense of connected awe, interconnected awe.
1: Michael, I know that you gave a really wonderful example of being with your daughter taking her to, I think, her water polo lessons. Maybe if we're taking our kids to these sorts of sports events and everything, we're very distracted. We have our cell phone with us and scrolling through our email or our messages or whatever it is. And But you had a moment where you said, okay, I'm going to do something different. Can you describe how, how that was for you?
2: Well, what it really was, was it was learning the application, direct application of the all method when I was attending my daughter's water polo games. And when she was a senior in high school is when Jake and I were exploring this method. It was actually that fall of 2019. And um, so for me, it was like a very special time of she's been playing that sport since she was a young, uh, grade schooler. And so I really wanted to deeply feel and be present for her games that last season. And, um, one of the things I learned that I experienced from practicing the awe method and really allowing an extended practice was that time, my sense of time expanded. So when we're busy and we're distracted and we're not in that state of awe or that sense of wonder, um, time often speeds up and goes goes pretty quick. And um, but when I started practicing, I noticed her games lasted longer, and I just felt like there was a, a, a richness that I could really appreciate. And to people that know a water polo, those games go fast.
1: Yeah, they do, they do. I'm here with Dr. Michael Amster and Therapist Jake Eagle, and we're talking about the AWE method. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Michael Amster and Jake Eagle, and we're talking about The Power of Awe, which is the title of the book that they have co-authored. Let's talk more about the benefits of awe. I know one of the benefits that I thought was very, very fine was the propensity to be pro-social if we experience awe, as you said, it changes our perspective. It opens us up. This goes back to something that you quoted a Dutch historian, Rudger Bregman. He had said, I love this, and he said, we have an evolutionary superpower as human beings, because he said, it's the survival of the friendliest. So this is where it, it taps us into that superpower that we have to connect to one another. And boy, at this time, I think we really need this kind of connection right now. So any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think this is Jake. I, I think there's an interesting way to look at this, which is that when we experience awe, we go into a state that is one of timelessness. So just imagine you enter a state that's wordless and timeless. There's just this profound sense of expansion. And because of this sense of expansion, we become more generous. We tend to be more altruistic. We connect better with other people because we're more patient. And all of these qualities lead us into a more pro social experience. We're better able to connect with other people and other people desire to connect with us because they sense that our nervous system is calm, that we're present. And this is really something that I think we need so desperately at this time in our lives where people are rushed and busy and interconnections have become as brief as texting one another and everything feels hurried and rushed. But when we access a state of awe, we interrupt that cycle. We interrupt that experience of being overwhelmed. And that's part of why it has such a powerful effect in terms of connecting with other people or connecting with a sense of something beyond ourselves. So even if we're alone, and we had people in our study who were alone, people who were isolated, and yet they used the awe method to feel as if they were connected to something greater than themselves, Mm -hmm. which is very powerful.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about um, an incident that you wrote about And it was something that Jane Goodall, the uh, person who has researched chimpanzees to great extent, she was saying that there was a woman who was doing a study up in Alaska, um, an Inuit woman, and she became very, very depressed about what she was studying, about how the culture, the Inuit Inuit culture was just being decimated. And she got so depressed that she became physically incapable of even writing. And that's when she went to an, I think, an elder, an Inuit elder, who said, "Uh, you need more awe in your life. Do
3: you you recall that story? I love that story. I think, Michael, you found that originally. Maybe you can talk a little more about that.
2: Yeah, it's from Jane Goodall's Book of Hope. We we talk about this story in the section of our book around how one of the most powerful parts of the emotion of awe is that it decreases inflammation in the body. And as we learn more in medicine, inflammation is connected to pretty much all chronic illness for heart disease cancer um diabetes autoimmune disease and so the story was just a perfect example of of when this woman her name was Cons- consolo in the story is writing about this and she's seeing about the the devastation of her people um she, Develops debilitating chronic pain, nerve pain in her extremities, and can't write anymore. But then, which connects with that elder who says, You need to go back to finding awe and joy every day, um, which meant for her letting go of her grief. And so, um, within weeks, and as the story goes, her pain was gone. Um, and so, it's a beautiful example of how when we're activating that sympathetic nervous system, that like chronic fight or flight response where we don't feel safe, or we're under threat, um, how it changes our physiology. And what we believe one of the things that awe does is it creates that sense of safety where our nervous system, as well as our chemistry in our body, secretes... The cytokines, the these intracellular communicators that give us a sense of safety. Um, and Awe actually was the only positive emotion when they did blood levels and they looked at different positive emotions and then measured people's inflammatory cytokine blood levels. Awe was the only one that actually lowers those inflammatory factors, which is just, you know. So as, as a medical doctor, and I think about like how powerful this emotion is and what it changes, how it changes our physiology and where this can take us in terms of looking at medicine moving forward and how important it is that people do need to feel safe. You know, you had talked about that, like people have to feel safety. Unfortunately, a lot of the things in the medical system don't give people, the patients a sense of safety. Hospitals often don't feel like the safest place for a lot of people. And so I think this methodology has a lot of tools that can be brought into the healthcare arena, which I'm really excited about. And we're actually going to be doing some further research on this.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm, I'm also thinking in these days, there's so much going on. And if we are paying attention, I mean, there's the ongoing war in Ukraine and there's the earthquakes in, in Syria and Turkey. And, and then there's here at home mass shootings and train wrecks that are causing pollution and all sorts of things and climate change and There's a lot coming at us, and a lot of us are paying attention to that. But what I hear you saying, we also need to pay attention to bringing in something that is going to prevent us from becoming inflamed and paralyzed uh, through some sort of debilitation with all this information coming in. Am I getting this uh, correct?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, earlier you mentioned Viktor Frankl, and Viktor Frankl in his book gives examples of experiencing awe while in a concentration camp and suffering beyond what any of us can imagine. So I think it's important to understand that regardless of our life circumstances, except for those moments where we're, you know, the metaphor of being chased by a tiger, other than that, we can access awe, even in the challenging moments of our lives, even during a tragedy, even during a war.
1: It's available. It's portable, (laughs) in other
3: words. It's also a very unique emotion in that we can experience awe when we're unhappy or when we're lonely or when we're experiencing grief. It's a very unique emotion in the way that it can appear and disrupt other emotions temporarily. Temporarily. Again, it, it resets our nervous system. It's as if our... If if you imagine the nervous system is a coil and it's coiled too tightly, a moment of awe relaxes the coil. It relaxes the tension from the system. Michael,
2: yeah, yeah. I was going to add. There's a quote, just one line from our book, um, it, with what Jake is talking about. We have a chapter where we we talk about applying the awe method in times of strife in our lives, and we we had many people in our studies, some that were suffering from cancer. Um, some people, you know, they had a lot of loss, grief. People were passing away from the from the pandemic. So we learned firsthand seeing how much this methodology was really helping people. And so the the, the one line I wanted to share is is that we have the capacity to be in awe when experiencing difficult emotions gives us a great deal of influence over our suffering.
1: Oh yeah, you have. An extraordinary example of this, and that's a a woman, I think her name was Jade, and she got hit by a truck, and so, I mean, really devastated. She's there on the pavement. Can, Can you describe what she did? I was just like, oh my gosh, that was incredible.
3: Yeah, Jade had been uh, practicing this method and was aware of different levels of consciousness. And you're absolutely right. She got run over by a truck. She was crossing the road with a friend. And when she was on the ground, she actually had the capacity to think, to ask herself, how do I want to deal with this? Do I want to lose my sense of self? Do I want to go into a state of trauma? Or can I bring my attention to the people who are trying to help me, to my concern for the person who was with me walking across the street? And she elicited a state of awe and compassion and inquiry that was really remarkable. And this is in the midst of what I would call a true trauma. Exactly. Um, it, it really was an extraordinary story. It then goes on and she ends up in the hospital and she ends up basically going around trying to help other patients, taking care of other people, right. trying to encourage them to find the awe in their lives and in their circumstances.
1: Well, this takes me to those those questions that you put out to us, to intentionally change the level of consciousness that we might be in and there were three questions you know do you recall these questions what state all right at what state of consciousness am i in that's the first question to ask ourselves if we can stop just for a moment as you say uh, to wait to stop for just a moment and say okay where is my attention right now to wait what state of consciousness am i am and is this where i want to be and what state of consciousness do i want to be in and for me those three questions are really
3: good questions and we, we've helped people by identifying three levels of consciousness that they can very easily recognize. The first one is safety, which is where we live most of the time, very preoccupied with all the things we need to do and taking care of business. And the second level is heart consciousness, which is being in a state of gratitude. And then the third level is what we call spacious consciousness, which normally is accessed through some kind of contemplative practice. But that takes time. And what we've done is we found a very remarkable shortcut to get into a state of spaciousness and that's the awe method
1: that's the awe method i'm here with dr michael amster and you just heard from jake eagle and they are the authors of the power of awe and if you want to know more about their work you could go to the website thepowerofaw.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with physician Michael Amster and therapist Jake Eagle, and we're talking about the power of awe, which is the name of the book that they co wrote. What is the difference, some might wonder, between gratitude and
3: awe? Well, gratitude, which occurs in this level of consciousness we call heart consciousness, is a state of deep appreciation and gratitude that we often arrive at by thinking about the things we're grateful for, right? So there's actually a a bit of effort just recalling what it is that we're grateful for. When we use the awe method, we shift into spacious consciousness, which is where the words drop away. We're no longer labeling. We're no longer efforting. We're simply accessing a state and residing there. Like, Michael likes to use the word marinating, that we're marinating in that experience. And so it's very different than busily thinking or trying to think about something we appreciate. The words drop away and the time drops away.
1: I have a question. Early on in this conversation, you talked about we bring to ourselves to help us get into this feeling of awe uh, something that has meaning for us or as beauty something that we ver- revere it could be a memory or an object can we keep going back to the same memory or the same object or does it lose its potency
3: Um, I would say not only does it not lose its potency, but it may may become more potent. I, I have a particular memory that I often will go to if I just need something to take me to awe quickly. And it's a memory from many, many years ago when I was working, helping my parents put a new roof on their home. And my mother, who at the time was 75, was up there working on the roof with me. And it's just this delightful, charming memory I have of her. And anytime I go there, I have the same experience of awe. Wonderful. And anything to add to
1: that, Michael?
2: Well, one of the things that we know from our research is that the more times that we dose or microdose awe, the more benefit we have. So what we asked people to do in our research was just to practice three times a day, but we know people practice many more times a day. And then the more they did, the more benefit they had. And there's just something really beautiful about this practice that is that the less force, the less we try hard, and the more gentle and ease we come with our experience of awe, the more powerful the practice becomes. What we found when people struggle with developing this awe practice, it's because they're trying too hard. You know, you can't go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and force yourself to have a moment of awe. You don't go there and be like, I want to have awe now. I want to have awe now, right? You know, you just, you just fully just arrive and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Well, this is the same thing with learning how to have awe in the ordinary is that you just, you just open up the field to be fully present with what is and as jake shared about his mom you know like i have wonderful memories of my grandmother and it's something that just gets richer and richer every time i dose on that i feel like there's there's more ought to be found it's it's just peeling off these layers to be found of a deeper sense of awe and connection and and a gratitude for my connection with her but then all life on earth and and just how powerful this practice is to to cultivate a deeper sense of connection and well being for ourselves and for the planet,
1: and and all you you can be taking I think um, like I don't live in in with a lot of nature uh, it's you know I'm living in an apartment complex, and so what I've been trying to do since I've read this book is to um, when I walk from my apartment to the mailbox. There is there a little bit of nature there, and I'm trying to like notice something I hadn't noticed before. It, it might be small. It might be that little flower that's blooming right now, or it might be a tree that I really didn't notice uh, before. It, it, comment on that. I see you shaking your head.
3: Uh. Well, not only uh, the things you just mentioned, but you could be in awe of your ability to walk. <laughs> that's for sure i mean we it, the things we take for granted the remarkable capacities we have we we don't often stop and fully recognize i'm also looking at you and i see there's a photograph behind you on the wall i can't make it out really clearly but it could be a source of awe. oh that's
1: michael yeah. and i with his holiness the dalai lama okay. in Dharamsala. <laughs> yeah thank you for noticing that and that Oh, good. That, is an, that was an awesome moment. Yeah.
3: I believe it. Yes, yeah. I see it now. Yes.
2: Yeah. But I love what you shared about this walk to the mailbox. And for me, one of my main awe moments of my day is when I walk my dog and I walk to the same park every day, but I come with fresh eyes, with an openness, a receptivity to just find this New awe and everything that I come across, and it's it is beautiful to, to like Jake said, you see something different in the tree you never saw before, and it's very ordinary, but it can be completely orgasmic and transformative, and to bring you into that that state of connection to the universe or to consciousness or God, whatever words you want to use, you get you get a taste of that transcendence when you have a moment of awe.
1: You know Michael going back to your daughter and the water polo I remember specifically when you were describing that in the writing and and how you took us to where you really brought yourself present and there was a moment that you described about the reflection off of the water and Mm -hmm. and the window and the light on the water and that really got me michael Hmm. because it's like yeah it took me to in a moment of being just with rippling water of light on water i mean just that little thing is whoa or i think michael you you also talked about um Being in the Grand Canyon at night and there were um, lights, Uh, you turned on a flashlight or something and suddenly you saw all of this insect life that was just right there and you didn't even know was there before. It's like, this is what you're talking about. That's what I want our listeners to hear, that this is so available to us at any moment, even little things or big things, we can practice this. We really can. I'm excited about it. (laughs) You can feel my excitement because uh, it does expand consciousness. It changes our perception of where we are and takes us into a bigger, more vast landscape of possibilities and love. comments here
3: beautifully said yeah
2: beautifully said what i love of what you're sharing and what's happened to me and maybe hopefully to your listeners is i just had a moment of awe hearing your enthusiasm and your excitement and awe is contagious we know this and in a very good way it's contagious and so when we share our awe when we cultivate our awe within ourselves and we share with others we 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 elicit awe for other people and the more that we share awe with each other, we change not only ourselves, but we change the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, how how can, how can we harm other humans when we're in awe of each other's differences and our different cultures and our foods and our way we dress and our languages and the way we talk about spirit or God and, and how beautiful each of this is? Like, how can we harm each other? How can we destroy this planet when we're in awe of the natural world? And... You know, how can we not be in awe of life itself every moment, every day, when, you know, we just like you said, you just open up and there it is. Like there's this an unlimited amount, as many stars as there are in the sky, which is infinite. We have free access to awe every day, really every moment to, to cultivate and to share with others.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Jake, any moments that you can share with us that you have had that that reminds us of the everyday possibility of being in awe?
3: Well, the way I go through my life is by making a distinction between what's in the foreground and the background. The foreground are... You know, all the things I need to do and get done and any tension or conflict I have or issues I may have, all of that's in the foreground. But I try to remind myself that in the background is the beauty and in the background is kindness and in the background is love. And those are all sources of awe. And those are there all the time, regardless of what is in the foreground. And so I use the AWE method to shift my attention from the foreground to the background, and it consistently brings me to a healthier, better place and a better way of relating with other people.
1: Yeah, we can notice where we are. In just driving down the highway and uh, having having an uh, awesome experience. Just, I'm just in awe that we all get to drive together and we're all not crashing into one another. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, just that alone. I just want to thank you both for being with us today in this uh, it's been awesome for me. Thank you so much for being with us today. I've been speaking with Jake Eagle. He's a therapist, and he, along with physician Michael Amster, are the co-authors of The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose, In less than one minute. Okay, you know, you need to practice it every day. And if you want to know more about their work, please do go to their website, thepowerofaw.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3700.